Yo, what's good? It's your boy CJ King. Look, and I'm rocking with the homie Rick Sincere. I'm going to need y'all to keep it locked right here on MTMV Sports. Hello and welcome to the Know Your Personnel Podcast. We are on all major podcast apps. You can also find us on MTMV Sports Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to both stations that you never miss an episode. Please remember to leave us a five-star rating. Download and share this episode with a friend so we can continue to grow the game. I'm very excited for our next guest. Let's jump in. Welcome back to the KYP Podcast. I'm very excited for my next guest. I call this man the hardest working coach in college basketball. If you know anything about Cal Lutheran and Coach White, uh, he is uh, he is in every single gym when he's not in practice. He's gone and visited uh, every place in Southern California. He's in with coaches. He's talked with me several times, even before this podcast, working on our kids. Um, he is as hard a working as a coach as I've ever known. Coach White, thank you very much for joining us today. It's going to be fun. Nick, I appreciate you having me. Um, what I want to talk about first, and you have a very rich uh, coaching career, but I'd like to start with you as a player. Where did you first get into the game? How did you fall in love with basketball? My dad was in the Air Force, moved all over the world. You just, you spent time at the youth center. You played football, you played basketball, you played baseball, you played soccer. Uh, you did it all. And I have pictures of me playing all those sports when I was five, six years old. I uh, got into golf when I was in high school, but I took basically in high school, I really started focusing on basketball. But when I say focus, it's not like the focus that there is today from kids. Uh, it was probably my best sport and my favorite sport, but I wasn't training every day. I wasn't, I didn't have a trainer, those types of things. Mm-hmm. So high school, I played, I played for a really small high school, uh, Desert High School up in Edwards Air Force Base. Uh, they, we were a southern section of school at the time. Now they're actually a central section team. I was probably 6'3 as a senior. I was the tallest player on the team. I played big man. I was a five man. And then I had good numbers. I mean, the league was not great. I'll be, I'll be nice. The league wasn't good. I got a call from Calu. I was set to go to Arizona or New Mexico on a medical engineering ROTC scholarship. And I got a call from Calu in March of my senior year. They were looking, Mike Dunlap had just gotten a job, just finished his first year. They were looking to bring in basically as many guys as they could to their first full class. And so they would like to come play basketball. I was like, really? I'm in. <laughs> and uh, didn't do the research, just went down and visited. Oh, I get to play basketball. I'm in. And um, was really lucky really changed my life just playing for and when I say play it's let's use air quotes I didn't play a lot I actually mm-hmm. looked up my stats over got in the office a couple of weeks ago looked up my my official varsity stats I I played in uh, six games total and I scored 15 points my, those are my career numbers um, but just watching coach Dunlap was really when I started to learn the value of the game and I think that's the question you're getting at the answer you're looking for Watching Coach Dunlap build the program, coach the details, I was just enamored. Uh, I went to college knowing I wanted to be a teacher or a coach or get into sports journalism. Didn't decide. I did my freshman year. I was like, I want to be a teacher and a coach because I watched Coach Dunlap just 
build it. I mean, I just, his, his attention to detail was incredible. His knowledge was incredible. And I've never seen anything like that. We were I wasn't a part of a legit program in high school or anything like that. So I was just, wow, this is what a coach can do. Sign me up. I want to do this. And that's really where it started. And my, my junior year of college, I didn't even play. I actually coached. I was a volunteer coach at T.O. High School for a year on, on a lower-level team. And then I played again my senior year. And then as soon as I graduated, I started coaching lower levels of Chaminade. Talk to me about I want to I want to stay a little bit more on coach, coach Dunlap because coach Dunlap is considered one of the brightest minds in basketball is one of the maybe the best public speaking basketball coach in the country. Um, and he's everywhere he's been there been successful. He's very, very well thought of in the basketball community. What are some things that you learned from him that I'm sure that you use today? Well, I think the attention to detail I alluded to earlier is what really made a big impact on me and I, I hope that's what people would say about me now too is that I'm very detail oriented I I you know the footwork or the the spacing or the every drill every skill you teach a player even the shooting components I mean you can break it down to the fingers and the thumbs and the elbows knee placement on a shot I mean these things I mean Coach Dunlap is a savant when it comes to basketball he I don't think he sleeps even to this day he just he either coaches or he reads um every time I talk to him he constantly challenges your thinking so those I I I, that was the first real coach I ever had so I coach I think I coach a lot like him in terms of uh, uh demeanor sometimes uh cadence on the court as I coach players I mean I'm I'm way more active on a sideline than he is now uh, you know if you watch him coach LMU last couple of years he just kind of stood there with a pose arms crossed uh, I'm not that guy <laughs> I'm up and down the sidelines a, a lot more so but I also you know he just he was a really hard worker too uh, he uh, he figured out ways to get it done and he was really smart i mean when when we played for him he when first he was first playing with that 113 defense they killed at metro state with and I, you could just i just knew he was going to be really good I, I i mean i remember just watching him talk to the team and i i wasn't a really good player so i i didn't get a ton of attention from him but i just was watching and learning and watching and learning and uh, my passion for the game grew and knowing that you could have just such a good impact on, on a team. Mm -hmm. So you, he, he was the one who made you change your major and change your whole focus on what you wanted to be when you grew up or when, when you got out of college, talk about how you got into coaching and how you started at Chaminade and how that all came to pass. Well, I knew I wanted to teach and coach. And uh, when I was graduating in 1994, uh, a guy by the name of Jeff Young was a former Calu player. He was an assistant my senior year at Calu, and he got hired at Chaminade in West Hills as the head varsity coach. He was probably 25 at the time, maybe 24, and he needed some staff, and I wanted to coach. And then a, a classmate of mine, a guy by the name of Brian Cantwell, Wanted to coach as well. And Brian had coached playtime and we came in together as freshmen and he started coaching at the local high school in Westlake. And when we graduated, we wanted to teach and coach. So he brought us both home. He brought, uh, Brian was the JV coach 
1994-95, I was the freshman coach in 94-95, and Jeff Young was the head coach. And we were all Calu grads, and we ended up living in a house together for a couple of years. And uh, we took over a program that wasn't very strong. And and four years later, we, we had won a Mission League title and a CIF title and did it again the next year. And then I got my own program. And Brian was the head coach for a while, and he loved now he's the head coach again. And Sean I should be really good this year because um, he got some really good players. But I, that's – I knew I was going to coach, and, and that it just – I walked into a great situation where I had a – I could – I had a play – I was going to be coaching with friends at a local school. And at the time, I didn't know the dynamics of the Valley because I wasn't from the Valley, and I lived out here in Thousand Oaks going to school, so I didn't know that. Chaminade was in the same league as all these schools. I mean, our first couple of years, there was a pair of twins out of Westlake named Jason and Jaron Collins, and they ran a one-two-one-one press with six ten at the at the front and six ten at the back, and that was not always so fun. But we grew the program, and we I, I learned from that. I really did learn from that. Talk to me about how you came into Chaminade and built that program all the way up to CIF champions in four years. How did you take that freshman class that you got and build them all the way up to being one of the top teams in Southern California? Well, I, that's when we talk about building programs, I mean, I've had a discussion with many people. Like The bottom line is you've got to have good players. You know, I mean, obviously good, good coaches make good players great players. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I, don't know I don't know coaches that's going to make a bad player a great player. It doesn't matter how much you know, how good you are. There's got to be some talent in the gym. But we took it. We we took an approach, and, and obviously all three coaches at Shamanon at the time had worked for Mike Dunlap. So the attention to detail, the uh, I mean, all of it, the, the attention to detail in every component, everything that we did, uh, scouting reports, practice plans, player meetings, uh, you know, halftime meetings, pre-practice meetings, all of it were just. We did all that together. We learned it from Coach Dunlap. Then we brought it together and we did it together and we grew the program and I was the freshman coach. So I was teaching all the basic details and Brian was the JV coach and he was teaching them as well. And by the time all those guys got to their senior year, you know, we, the, the seniors that last year, that first year we won the CF title were really, really solid players. We have one kid that went to Navy, Scott Long, for you, for anyone that knows their Valley history. And we had a football player named Justice Stewart in a plane at San Diego State. And but we had a freshman that year named Scott Borcher, who was really, really good. Ended up going to Santa Clara. We had we ended up getting some good players along the line, but we had a really solid base fundamentally. And if you ask me now, I'll tell you the same thing. You know, your your good teams obviously are gonna have some really good players, but even those those crespy teams that we had we had the Londons, we had the D's, we had the Brandons, and we had other guys, but we had a lot of guys that no one knew that were really solid basketball players. Talk about Coach Young. He is a terrific coach, uh, very well known in the L.A. area. Talk about what you learned from him and what things you got from him that you ended up taking into your next job. I think anytime you're working for a coach you or playing for a coach, you, you take the good and you leave the bad. Um, you know, Coach Dunlap is a savant. We already—I've already alluded to that. But you know, he there were things he did that I don't do, 
Um, mm-hmm. Coach Coach Young was the same way, and I've had players, I've had coaches lucky enough to work. I've been lucky to have guys work for me and move on to have their own programs, and they take good. Hopefully, they take the stuff from me they like, and they keep. They don't take the bad stuff. I mean, we're all going to be our own coach. You were, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, you the. What did I take from Coach Young? He he was also detail oriented and turn, he, he trusted us as lower level coaches to uh, teach properly. I mean he he wasn't overbearing in terms of how we managed that. He uh, I think the one thing that I definitely took from that we we spent a lot of time as a staff together when I was working at Shamanad and that's really important to me to this day. When I hire coaches, I, I got to make sure that there's somebody I want to hang with. You know, are, are, are they a good hang, for lack of a better term? And I'm not just going to get somebody that can get me a player. I'm not going to get somebody that – I'll take a guy that maybe not the best recruiter, maybe not the best X and O's guy, but I know he's all in on our program, and I, I, I want to have dinner with them after the game. You know, those guys are way more valuable than someone that's going to do the other stuff, for lack of a better term. And, and we were really tied as a staff. Uh, for a lot of years at Shamanad. I think it mattered. I think the players saw it. I think they saw how close we were. They became close. Um, but watching Jeff and helping Jeff build that program at Shamanad was really helped me a lot when I went to Calabasas. And then obviously I took that over to Crespi and I'm going to try and do the same here in Cali. So you, you parlay the uh, freshman head coaching job into a head coach, head coaching job at Calabasas. Um, how did you get hired? How did that hiring process work? And once you got in there, what were the most important things you had to do to, to build that program? Uh, I remember well, I, I did four years of freshman at, at Chaminade, and then my last year I did a year at JV. And at that point, I was like, okay, I'm ready to kind of venture out on my own. And I didn't feel like I was ever going to be a candidate for the Chaminade job because Brian came in with me and was at that point he had moved up to a varsity assistant job. So it was if I wanted to be head coach, I was going to, need to go somewhere else. Calabasas. I mean, at the time I was still 27. Mm-hmm. I've been coaching for five years, but I was 27, still very young uh, and immature, to be honest. But the Calabasas job opened. They had not been, you know, wasn't a dominant program like it has been. Uh, Top notch program, no league titles at the time, no CIF titles at the time, and. I remember the one thing I remember about the interview process was that I, the, all the guys at Sean and I helped me get the job. Like we sat down, we did practice interviews. Uh, we had a binder that was probably two inches thick of our practice plans, our scouting reports, our yeah, anything we could possibly put in. And I remember I just walked into the interview at Calabasas with this two inch binder. So here you go. This is what we did at Sean and I'm going to do it here. I'm going to try and do it here. And uh, it was a while ago. I mean, that was 1999. So I do remember I initially was not chosen for the job because I, I told them I wasn't interested. There was no teaching position. Mm-hmm. They, did, they didn't have one. I did have a credential, but they didn't have one in my spot. So God, I can't remember what I was going to do, but I didn't get it. And then the guy who took it, Actually, I changed my mind after the interview, and I called them, and I said, hey, I'd be willing to take the job if there's no teaching. I'll figure it out. I'll go back and get my master's. I'll do something. And they had already offered it to someone else. Well, a week later, he changes his mind. They call me back. Hey, we got 
get the job. All right, I'll take it. Well, a month later, I got a teaching position in the district. So I started teaching and coaching at Calabasas in 1999. I was teaching at the middle school for a year, got moved over to high school. But I, I, I definitely worked hard. Uh, I mean, my, when those first couple years, I was at every practice in the program. I was at every JV, every freshman. We had a soft rush team. Actually, we added that later. I was at all the practices. I was working with the coaches. I was trying to get involved with as many things on campus as possible to ingratiate myself to other constituents that were on campus. I, I try not to isolate myself. I didn't want to just be the basketball coach. I was working, going to all the games, uh, go to plays, go to music events, just just be around. Um, I would tell you what I did then and what I do now would be incredibly different. Mm -hmm. uh, I learned a lot. Um, I, you know, I think when I took that job at Calabasas, I was not as open to ideas. I, I think I thought I knew a lot at the time. And in the reality is I, I didn't know squat. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's probably, I, I would do a lot of things differently. I think it's the best thing I would tell you. I, I didn't know what I didn't know at the time. And I probably, I, I would definitely say this. I, I was not, we, we turned the program around we got good players. We did good things. And I still have some positive, some very positive relationships with some players I had back then. But there's plenty of guys that played for me in Calabasas that don't want to have anything to do with me. And that's nobody's fault but mine uh, because of my approach was not as good as it should have been. You know, again, I, I wish those Calabasas kids could have me now as opposed to them. They, they would have a much better experience. But I, I, obviously it's a, it's a regret, but not something I can change. It wasn't a it wasn't a conscious decision at the time to be who I was. It was just who I am. And as you get older and you realize you don't know everything and uh, there's a lot more to do with play. It was, it was a lot about winning at the time and it, it shouldn't be, you know, when, when you're, when you're teaching and coaching young men, it, there's a lot more things important than that. doesn't mean you don't work for it. Winning is part of the, you want to win and you work hard to win, but, I didn't do a very good job of, of servicing my players at Calabasas, and I would definitely like to do that over. What are the things uh, that you realize now that are more important than winning? Giving our players a good experience, helping them grow as individuals, uh, as men. Uh, you know, one of the things I loved about working at Crespi, and I know we'll talk about that, but the Crespi mantra, the Crespi, you know, Crespi builds men. Uh, that's, that was what really drew me there. It wasn't about you know, when I was working at public school, it was survive the day. You know, let's try not to get sued today. Let's, uh, uh, let's you know, no problems, no problems, no problems. And when I interviewed a craftsman and was doing my research, their Esler, I don't know if you guys use those terms in public schools anymore, but their, their mantra was, we build men. And I was like, this is great. And I think my time at Crestley really helped me get into that mode of man building and now here I am at Kalu and I have I'm, I tell this to my players I tell this to anyone who listen I have two goals for this program I want to make the alums proud of the program and uh, certainly that can entail winning and it does for a lot of people but I think if you come watch a team play you watch how they act win or lose you watch how hard they play how hard they work for each other I think that's 
that'll lead to the winning. So we, we want to make them proud. And then my other goal as a coach is to, to give my players a great experience. Um, you know, Calu changed my life. I've always, I always wanted to go back because I had such a great experience there. And if I can give my players the same experience that I had, then I'm doing my job. And I, again, I played in six games and scored 15 points and I, I wouldn't change it for the world. And so if I can do those two things and I'm, then I'm, and I'm doing my job. I want to. I want to continue on this a little. I have two questions from what you just said. First, I'll ask. I think the easy one. You said you want them to have a great experience, but your guys at Calabasas won a lot, and some would argue, at least on the surface level, that if you're winning, that should be a pretty good experience for you. Can you explain how you could have a winning program and still not give the kids a good experience? What that means? I think it's. Yeah, that's not a hard question. You're right. How you treat them, how you talk to them, how you deal with them. You know, that last year, there were a couple of kids, a couple of really good players that after my seventh year at Calabasas said, that literally said, if you, if you come back, I'm not. You know, they, that was I just, it's not fun. I was not making it fun. And to be honest, it wasn't fun for me either at that time. And stepping away when I did was the right move. But it's, it, it was just, it was just too much. It was, it was a job. It wasn't a fun. I wasn't not making it fun for them at all. You know, my, my drive, my passion, I'm a grinder. I'm going to work. I'm going to push. And I was doing it way too much. Um, I was pushing them well, 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 well past what they were mentally and physically capable of. And therefore, it was no fun. And that was on me. The second part, and, and you talked about you learned this at Crespi, and you're doing it now at Cal Lutheran. But I want to stay with it right now. How do you build a man on the basketball court? How do you use the time that you have with him during the, the, the season and the years following? How do you build a man through that? Every day, there's always an opportunity. You know what You know what these – well, you're, you're coaching – 16, 17, 18 year olds. Now I'm coaching 19, 20, 21 year olds. And, and I can certainly go on those differences, but every opportunity, everything that every day, there's something else that comes up. I mean, you just have to constantly mentor and help them grow. I mean, having, you know, with our team now, we're doing Zoom calls and we're bringing in guest speakers, not just basketball players, but people that can give them advice on life, connecting them with people that can help them grow, uh, helping them get homework done, helping them find a way to have a conversation with their parents that maybe they weren't ready to have or, or didn't, weren't sure how to have uh, dealing with, um, dealing with women appropriately, obviously with the world we're living in now, you know, how are we have African-American players on our team? How can I help them find their voice to speak up in a way that, that matters? You know, we've, now we've, we have sent, uh, the link to register to vote for all of our players. We're going to make sure that we spend time in, in October helping our players learn how to vote, you know, who to vote for, not just go vote. Uh, you know, I know there's a big push in NCAA right now about making November 3rd a, a no activity day so everyone can go vote, which is great. But you know, what's the point of voting if you don't know who you're voting for? So we're going to spend time teaching them how to research the vote and, I think everything that happens is an opportunity to help your, your players grow. And 
I didn't take that seriously at Calabasas, and I started doing that at Crespi, and and now I'm I'm all over it at at, at Calu. I'm really trying to develop a rapport with these guys that they can trust me. Uh, we I, I call each and every single one of them at least once a week, see how they're doing, follow up with things that maybe may or may not be going on, whatever I can do to help them figure out their path. I mean, go back to when you were between 16 and 22. How many times did you? have no clue what to do. Uh, I mean, that, that's our, I mean, that's, that's really, I'm definitely converted to that component. Now, that being said, I, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like I don't care about winning because if you see mm -hmm. me coach, you know, I do. It's super important to me. I'm doing everything we can to be successful, but I've been able to focus a lot more lately on, I, I think I became a better coach when I stopped worrying about winning. And I'll tell you this story and then we can press on. In 20, the fall of 2014 was the last time that I talked to a team about winning. I mean, we're coming up on six years when the last time I went into a locker room and said, hey, all right, let's, we need this one. Let's get healthy. Let's go get a W. I, I stopped doing it in the fall of 2014. I, I read some books. I I don't know. I got into a point where it was like, look, it's not about winning anymore. It's about getting better. And it's about being our best. You know, you want to talk about Wooden's Pyramid of Success, or you want to talk about John Gordon positivity, whatever it was, I just stopped talking about winning. And I started talking about getting better. And that fall of 2014 at Crespi, we had uh, a junior on our team. Uh, we had one senior, name was Mike Krakan, who's now in med school. And we had a junior by the name of DeAnthony Melton, who's pretty good, uh, but but not a uh, dude by any means. I mean, unranked, no offers, anything like that. We had two freshmen. We actually had four freshmen uh, on the varsity that year. One was Brandon Williams. One was Taj Regans. Those guys made names for themselves. And then we had two other freshmen playing varsity. And Lonnie Parentes had left, uh, or DJ Ursary had left. And I just said, hey, we're really young. Let's, let's not focus on this stuff. Let's just get better. And we scheduled appropriately. Our schedule gradually got harder, harder, harder. And I didn't talk about winning. I just talked about getting better. And we ended up winning the D4 state title. And I haven't talked about winning since. And when I say I don't talk about winning, that's it's a little bit of a misnomer because again, I, I it, the, that, the objective is to win, but we don't put goals on the on the board. To, hey, let's go win a league title. Let's do this. Let's do that. We don't we don't do that. We don't. I don't go into practice saying, all right, we need we need this one tomorrow. Let's have a good practice today. We need a W tomorrow. You know, and that was you know that's I learned that at Calu. I, I we did that at Chaminade. I did it at Calabasas. I don't do it anymore. Let's talk about uh, getting to Crespi because uh, that's, that's a very, uh, a very good job. Um, good league, good players. How did you get the job there uh, initially coming off of uh, maybe a, a tough ending at, Calabas at Calabasas? Well, I mean, the ending at Calabasas wasn't awful. I mean, it was ob obviously it was tough earlier mentally, but we had won two straight league titles on the way out. Uh, mm -hmm. We've gone to a CF championship game. In 05 and 06, we won the league title. And then I think we lost to St. John Bosco in the second round of playoffs. Uh, 
mentally it was a grind. Uh, I resigned, actually. I was going to take a year off. My wife was getting ready to have our first child. I was done. I was mentally spent. I, I was going to teach for a year. I was the golf coach at Calabasas as well, side note. Uh, and I was just going to take a year off from hoops, coach the golf team, teach, be a dad. And then I got a call from Dick Dornan, who was the prior coach. He was like a coach AD at, at, at Crespi. He said, hey, I'm not going to be the coach anymore. We're looking for a coach. Would you be interested in applying? And I remember just my I remember my response was like, yeah, I'll think about it. I'm not sure I want to coach next year. I'm pretty burnt out, ready to take a year off. And like, okay. And then someone else talked to me and I just started looking into the school. And like I told you earlier, there was a, just something about it. It was all boys. Um, it was in a good league. And they had this mantra of, you know, building crest, building men, building what they call crespy men. And it, there's a whole platform there. It's more than just building men, how they do it, and what's important. And it just, it just really talked to me, man. I was like, wow, this is a vision. And it, it was, I guess, I don't know if life altering is the word, but it definitely spoke to me. And, and I went into interview with uh, ready to go. I mean, I didn't have the two inch binder like I did at Calabasas, but I was definitely prepared. There was, I remember there was 12 people in the library sitting around four tables staring at me and, um, I, I know there's a couple, I don't even remember who else with the job. It wasn't a great job at the time. I mean, it was a bottom dweller, mm -hmm. mission league bottom dweller for a couple of years. I mean, uh, we had one CIF in 01, 02, I think went to the playoffs and God, I, I, I might be missing up a little bit, but at, at one point they lost the Aaron Aflalo's team in the first round of playoffs. But I want to say the three years prior, they had won maybe five league games total. So it wasn't like I was walking into a, ready-made program, but they offered me the job and I took it. And they offered me a job, I was I was teaching three classes. I remember at Calabasas, I was teaching four classes of history with anywhere from 35 to 40 kids in a class. And then I had my, my basketball class. Mm -hmm. And then I went to Crespi and I was teaching three classes with 18 kids in a class. Wow. And I was like, piece of cake. Sign me up. I can do this. No problem. And uh, so, yeah, that's how I got the job. Um, so you said when you got there, they weren't, uh, they, they've had some previous success, but nothing that was no momentum built really with the program. How did you build that program up? How did you attract players to want to go to that school? Because different from a public school where you kind of get the neighborhood kids, especially back then, how did you, how did you make uh, Crespi an attractive place for basketball players to want to go to? Well, I think, I think the, asking the guys would be a better place to go than me because we, I don't think it was a go-to destination for a while. Mm -hmm. We, you know, it was new to me, and I know recruiting is a bad word when you talk about high school, but I I think you're selling yourself a bag of goods if you don't think high schools are recruiting players. It's just what what are they – and that includes public schools. I mean, what are you allowed to do? What are you not allowed to do? The rules are the same for public and private. We had good players when we got there. 
we got them and we didn't start off great. We had a decent first year. How did we build a program? I mean, again, I'll go back to what I did before. I, I was at all the lower level stuff. I was teaching my, I was coaching my lower level coaches, how to coach like me or, or the, the things that I wanted them to know. Uh, I was involved in everything. Now, there was no stone unturned, you know, attention to detail. I'll say it again, go back to the first question you asked me about Coach Dunlap. The, the attention to detail I learned from him is still applicable today as we're building Kalu, just like it was in 2006 when we took over at, at Crespi. Uh, you know, when, when we first got the job at Crespi, we, we, they weren't very good the year before, but they were young. Uh, there was some talent. It was a, it was a football power. Mm-hmm. And you know, we had the guys that played multiple sports. We had a good freshman, uh, a decent freshman class come in that first year. So we had some talent. It took a little while to get them to gel. We, I think we, at one point we were four and nine. And then we got into Mission League and it started coming together. Made the playoffs, lost in the first round at home. Uh, but what did we do to attract players? Man, um, I don't know what we did early. I really don't have a good answer. I think Crespi is a is going to attract certain people in general. Uh, I definitely would say that it's a all boys Catholic school smack in the middle of the valley plays in a great league. You're going to attract certain people. I do think we I didn't do a good job of going after players early. I and I learned this over time. It's there's so many good players now. There's so many good players. It's, and there's a few difference makers, but there's enough really good players that if you get those really good players, a couple of those really good players, you can use those as a foundation and build around them with really solid role players. And that was basically what we ultimately started doing. Um, I'll also say this, we did not, we were not a system team. I think I, I would hope that if you ask people about the teams at Crespi and how they played, they wouldn't say, oh, we pressed or we played zone or we ran motion. They would say those dudes played hard, they played defense, and they played together. In our system, what we did every year changed based on personnel, but those three core core components, I, I would hope, would be something that everybody said about our teams each year. So. Um, you know, over time, we obviously, I, I think winning attracts players. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really, really do. We, and, but it's that, you know, what if you don't win? How do you get a player? You know, we, you're going to need a transformational player. You know, at Calabasas, that transformational guy was a young man by the name of Drew Hausman, who came in, you know, going to Harvard, played a couple years in Israel. You know, he came in and played varsity as a 95-pound freshman. Uh, no fear. And had skills, just was tiny. He played four years of varsity his, his senior year. We his junior year we went to uh, junior year we went to CIF finals. Senior year we lost in the semis. His and then, I mean, he changed the program for us. At, at Crespi, it was a young man by the name of London Parentes who came in as a freshman and played var, played freshman varsity as played varsity as a freshman, but was a backup behind actually we won CIF his freshman year, but he was a backup and a starting point guard ended up being up CIF player of the year. But over time, he was the guy that kind of took the program to another level. 
And so to answer your question, I would say there needs to be a transformational player there somewhere. I, I'm not going to take a lot of credit for that. I mean, what, what we did was worked hard and we tried to get our players better. That's for sure. We spent a lot of time on that, but we needed a guy like a Drew. We needed a guy like a London that was going to make your team better and other players are going to watch them play and go, wow, it'd be fun to play with them or wow, that's a fun way of playing. And then, then guys start coming through and that's, that happened at both places. And, you know, eventually find that guy at Calhoun. Maybe we already have him. I don't know. We'll find out. Um, you talked a little bit about how you played offensively and defensively. You got to work for some really good coaches and coach Dunlap and coach young. And then you were your own head coach. And you'd seen by this time at Crespi, a lot of really good basketball. How did you develop your offensive and defensive philosophy um, to put in at Crespi where you were the most successful? Again, I'll, I'll go back to using, figuring out what your best players do and letting them do those things. Um, and I don't know where I really got that. I don't remember hearing a speech. I don't remember Coach Dunlap saying that. I don't remember Coach Young saying that. I just remember it being, at one point, we just, it was just common sense. You know, we London senior year, we had our tallest player was we had a six five kid who had didn't play basketball his two years prior. Um, he ended up getting a cup of coffee in the NFL as a defensive lineman, but he wasn't a hooper. Um, everyone else on the team was six two or or smaller, but we could we had some players. We had some guys that could go and we just ran spread, pick and roll, not even Gonzaga spread, pick and roll, just pick and roll, put you at the three point line and just penetrate and kick like you wouldn't believe. And obviously London had the ball, but we had a, DeAnthony was a freshman and he wasn't, I think he scored three points a game. We had another freshman that year by the name of Max Heidegger. So anyone on your podcast that knows the name, I mean, Max has finished up his career at UCSB. He's going to play professionally somewhere. That kid was a bucket, a walking bucket. And he, he was just, his freshman year, he was probably 5'9", you know, 130. And the kid could score. No fear. Skill set beyond belief. We got a picture of him shooting from the volleyball line in our gym and and uh the great part about the picture is he obviously he's rising up and he's shooting it but if you look in the background you can see the shot clock and there's 27 seconds on the shot clock <laughs> and like guys that know me like early especially calabasas early at crespi talent wasn't as good so you as a coach you you manage the game you don't take the you don't you just well, as our players got better, when we had a London, we had a Max, we had D, we had Brandon, the, the, the shackles come off a lot more and you let your players play. You let your best players go play. And um, I, I think I'm rambling a little bit on your question. I don't even know if I'm answering it. Uh, what did we, what did I, I just, I definitely want to get your players in the best position to be successful and figuring that out is not always easy. I didn't do a great job of that last year at Calu. Hopefully I'll do a better job of it this year, uh, but uh, don't, and, and don't be stuck in your ways. I mean, I, I think players, 
players think they're good at something and they want to do those things. And if you don't think they're good, you got to communicate that. But if they are good, you got to use it. And I think we did that with London. We did that with D. We did that with Brandon. We did it with Max. And I think that's why we had success. Not because I ran some great system or I coached the crap out of them or, you know, we were good because we figured out what our best players were good at and we let them do it a lot. Um, I want to talk about the couple of pros that you had because in your stretch there to have two NBA players and DeAnthony Melton and Lent- London Parentes is, is, is almost unheard of. I mean, you know, a lot of pros come from California, but still to have them during that time, it has to be really special for you. Talk about the difference between the guys who ended up playing professionally and your regular high school player. And I'm not taking, talking about the athleticism or the skill set or the opposite things, but was their approach to the game different? Was their work ethic different? Was their mindset different than the regular kids that you coached? It became different. Uh, you know, London, I think London would even tell you, as we've talked about this, his first two years, he was not serious about it. He was super talented, but he was not serious. And actually, it was driving me crazy. I remember the last game of his sophomore year, we lost at La Cunada in the state playoffs. And I was, let's just say I was hot, as as, uh, as they say these days. And uh, I, I honestly, I wasn't sure I wanted to come back because I just felt like his approach was poor. He was being uncoachable. He didn't take it serious. And... I don't know what flipped for him, but it flipped. He started working harder. I think he, I think he got an offer between his sophomore and junior year from uh, a West Coast Conference school. And he's like, "Oh wow, I could do this. This is something. This might be for me." And then he, then he got serious. And he was really good his junior year. His junior year, he actually got hurt. He missed about ten games. Uh, like right in the middle of league. And uh, came back for playoffs, and then his senior year, he was unbelievable worker. Like getting the gym and work. He 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 had a goal his senior year. He was not he was going to win every sprint we ran in practice. And he, to my memory, he did it. Oh, this is as the best player on your team. So the work ethic was there. D'Anthony was a little bit different. You know, he he was so quiet. He's so chill. Um, he started to find a passion for the game like late his senior year. And if, you know, London committed to Virginia going into his senior year, it wasn't early, but he was getting a lot of looks his junior year. Uh, SC offered Washington state, Arizona state, and then never UCLA, unfortunately, uh, for you Bruin fans out there. But, uh, he, Went into that, and then the summer before his senior year, it started getting a little more broader. Illinois, um, Virginia got involved, and uh, he went to Virginia, committed in the fall of his uh, senior year. But the Anthony was had no offers until much, much later, and most of his offers were pretty. Uh, they were mid-major. San Diego State was, I think, the first. Uh, the matter Reno, Colorado State, Loyola Marymount with Coach Dunlap got in a little bit. Um, but Jason Hart, 
God bless him at SC, still there. He saw something in D his senior, going into his senior year. Might have even been going into his junior year. I remember seeing Jason at the map. Uh, I was down there watching D, and I saw Jason, and he's like, "Hey, man, D's gonna be good." Like, yeah, and, you know, a year. I think they they offered him a year later or something like that. But um, he found his passion late, and I think it might have been really good for him. You know, a lot of kids get burnt out. You know, they've been working on the game for so long, but I think D found his passion a lot later for the game, and uh, it still has it. You know, mm-hmm. I know he's been working out during the quarantine and. You know, not that we talk all the time, we don't, but I know he's he's found a passion for working. And that's – it's definitely a lot more prevalent now, you know, the, the get in the lab mentality, which, you know, one person's lab is another person's uh, circus. But uh, there's – D found that passion late. And both those guys, obviously uber talented and – found a passion. The other thing I would say about both those guys is that they play with an incredible pace. And I have found that incredibly hard to teach. People have asked me that. How did you teach London? How did you teach? And Brandon, Brandon was much quicker player. Brandon Williams, much quicker player. How do you teach pace? I, I, I could give some suggestions and things that we tried to do and things that we've done since because we, we realized how important pace was and your point guard you know, that age-old expression, you can't speed them up. If you're playing a point guard that you can't speed up, you're playing against a good point guard, a really good point guard. And both London and D fit that bill. Brandon was the same way. Uh, and how do you teach players that? Well, you know, that, that's, I don't think that's the point of this podcast, but uh, the both those players played with incredible pace. You could not speed them up. Um, so you went from Crespi to Kalu. It's not often you see a high school coach jump into a college job, even if it's division three, a lot of times colleges want you to have some experience at the college level before they have you jump in. How did you, how did you end up getting that job at Cal Lutheran? What are some strategies that, that, that you used in the interview process that might help some of our listeners? Great question. Uh, and I don't know if the answer is going to help a lot of people. So uh, three years before I got or three years from now, three years ago now, the job opened up. Uh, Rich Ryder had been the head coach for 21 years, I believe, maybe 22. And um, he had resigned in the middle of – right when the season started, kind of a Jim Calhoun, Bo Ryan type situation. His longtime assistant took over, uh, and they opened up the position. And I knew this was a job I always wanted. So one of the things I did was – I stayed involved with the school, uh, whether it was attend games, uh, donate to the school. Uh, I, I volunteered for the school. I was on the alumni board for a while. I participated in the in their Hall of Fame. And I did all that because I, I wanted to know those. I wanted the, the stakeholders of the school to know who I was. I just didn't want to be a random when – the, when the time came, whenever that was, I didn't want to be some random guy. I wanted them to, oh, Kalu grad. Oh, wow. He was on the, I remember meeting him on the alumni board, whatever. I was just, it was strategy for sure. You know, whether it's good or bad or or underhanded, it was definitely a strategy. Did all that job opened up and um, I did not get an interview the first time. And I think they wanted someone with experience. 
and I did not have college experience. And I can tell you from experience now that coaching college, there are components of coaching college that are way different than coaching high school. And there are components of coaching college that are exactly the same. So you know, a little bit of both on that component, but I did not get an interview that first time. Uh, we can do a second podcast on the psychological damage that did to me uh, <laughs> when your ego is crushed, uh, but survived. The, the coach who got the job uh, decided to leave last summer, you know, this summer of 2019. He decided to leave in uh, July of last summer. And uh, I was still pretty hurt, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, Ego was still hurt, and I initially, when I initially found out, I was like, "All right, good for him." You know, I'm. Crespi's fine. I mean, I, we Crespi is a great place to work. They they trusted me. I, I I'm almost positive both my sons will go there. That's how much I love the school. Uh, there was a lot of positivity with the school. I didn't need to go anywhere. I could have spent the rest of my career at Crespi. It would have been fine. So when it opened up, I was like, "Ah, they'll call me if they want." Four or five days later, I was like, a couple friends talked to me, a couple really good friends, and like, oh, maybe I'm still interested. It's always been the dream. So without going into all the, all the details, I basically forced myself into a couple offices. I didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. I just talked to a couple people higher ups up over there, and. Uh, they offered me a job. I mean, uh, there was there really was no interview. I mean, either time. I mean, the second time he asked me a couple questions, but it wasn't uh, in depth. It wasn't uh, hard. It wasn't prepared out. I didn't come with my two inch binder. I didn't come. I, it was just a brief conversation. And I, I will say, I'm leaving some stuff out for posterity's sake. I, there's some things I'm not sharing that don't need to be shared. But there was no interview. But getting to your answer, like what – if you're trying to get a college job, I think you're probably right on. I mean, I don't get this job at any other school. I would want to be really clear on that. You know, if, if any other Division three school opens up, you know, Whittier opens up, Chapman, Redlands, Claremont, Pomona, I don't, I don't get that job from where I was. I only got this job because I'm an alum – and I knew the people that were hiring. And that's what I would tell you that you need to do. If you want to get a college job, and I'll go back to Coach Dunlap, who is incredibly smart. I would say maybe 15, 10 years ago, probably, I decided I was just going to apply for a college job. We turned Crespi around a little bit. I was feeling good about myself. Well, you know, I'm going to apply for this college job. They did. College shall remain nameless to protect the innocent. And uh, I called Coach Dunlap. I was like, hey, I'm going to apply for this job. Could you, you know, be a recommendation for me? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Hey, tell me, Coach Russell, uh, do you know anyone over there? Do you know AD? Do you know President? Do you know Booster? Do you know anyone over there? Right. Uh, not really, Coach. Just kind of think my resume is pretty okay, and think they might take a look if I can just get an interview. You know, they'll I can wow them. He goes, well, good luck with that, but uh, 
you're pissing in the wind, buddy. And at the time I was like, man, that's pretty harsh. And, you know, 10 years later, I'm like, that's probably pretty true. I mean, uh, you, you have to know someone to get a college job. You're, you're, I mean, unless, I mean, I guess like a Gary McKnight who's won 8,000 games, you know, he might be able to randomly apply for a job at unknown division one school and, and get a really good look. Cause he's had just sick success, stupid success, unmatched success. You know, we were good at Cressy. We had good teams. We had some really nice seasons. We had good players, but it wasn't like we were rolling through the league. I mean, Gary won 30 league titles in 31 years, uh, whatever, you know, 18 CIF titles. I mean, in 13 years at Cressy, we won one league title. We won two state titles. We won two CIF titles. Uh, you know, we, we didn't make the playoffs almost every year. We didn't make it one. That was probably, I'll, I'll caveat that with a couple injuries to a couple of really good players, but you're not, you're not jumping from high school to college into a head coaching position unless you know somebody really well or you're well-connected. I was lucky. I mean, that's the best way I would put it. I wasn't getting this at any other job. I might have been able to get a Division One assistant job mm-hmm. because we had success and I had access. I knew players in L.A., uh, but Division One is much different than Division Three. Uh, I, I learned a long time ago Division One is probably not the path for me, at least not anytime soon. I, I don't want to, you know, a Division One coach. You could be, let's just say, you're. Well, I, I mean, I'll give the example of Mike Dunlap. I mean, Mike Dunlap was the head coach. He was let go. His four assistant coaches looking for jobs. Two of them were my teammates. One of another one was my assistant coach at Crespi, and they're all looking for jobs now. I mean, and that's based. Nothing that they did, really. I mean, they just decided they didn't want Coach Dunlap anymore. Now these guys are looking for jobs. When you get a family, I mean, it's it's much much bigger sacrifice to make. The winning is required. Go back to what I talked about earlier. You know, you don't win at LMU. You don't win at UCLA. You don't win at those schools. You're losing your job. And it's hard to get another one. Whereas, you know, at a Cal Lutheran, I – we're going to be successful in my heart. I believe that because we're going to work hard and we're going to figure it out. But I've been in the loan for Calu since 1994, 26 years. I'm not aware of any coach in the last 26 years of Calu that has lost their job because they lost. You lose your job at Calu because you cheat or you treat people poorly or you break the rules. You know, you, uh, now, uh, again, I fully expect us to be somewhat successful here in the near future, hopefully, but uh, it's just different ballgame, but different ballgame. So let's talk about the difference. Uh, first, a two part question. First, the difference between uh, coaching high school players and now college players. You said 16 to 18 versus now 18 to 22 uh, at, the, at the youngest 22. Um, and the difference in the game, uh, the, the high school game and the college game. Well, let's talk about the game first because it's probably a little bit easier. The game is um, – it's longer. <laughs> I think uh, we didn't win a lot of games this year. I remember uh, our first – our second league game we were playing Whittier, and there was, I want to say, 
six minutes left in the game, and I think we were up eight points. And I turned around to my assistant coach, coaches, and I said, you know, if this is a high school game, it'd be over right now. We'd already have a W. We ended up losing. Uh, but my point is the game is longer, and that obviously has its adjustments. You have – there's more minutes to play. There's more adjustments to be made. There's uh, – it, it's, a, it's a more physical game. I think it's a more cerebral game. Uh, but the similarities are the, the X's and O's are, you know, I, I saw no X's and O's action this year that made me go, wow. Mm-hmm. What, I need to study that. I, I didn't see anything like that that made me go, wow, I'm out of my league here. I, there were times where I felt out of my league on adjustments. Uh, there were times I felt out of my league on preparation. And, you know, maybe that's just me being hard on myself. Maybe that's the facts we'll find out as the years come, as, as the ensuing years proceed. But the game itself is just a long, little bit longer, a little little more physical. Uh, the players are obviously better. I mean, someone asked me the other day, hey, coach, my guy was a player on our team would like to come play for you. He, he wasn't all league, but he, was, he won the coach's award for our team. And I was like – well, that's, that's great. You know, we do like those kids and character does matter, but I'm going to go find some guys that have not only have good character, but can also put the ball in the hole and run the floor and jump. You know, I, I don't need a lot of guys that are good character guys uh, right now. So we, or, or only I, I don't have a bunch of, I don't, yeah, yeah. Right. Thank you. That's what better put. Um, so the game is not incredibly different, in my opinion. I, I have lots to learn. I definitely feel like I have lots to learn, but I think it's – I'll figure that out. You know, I'll do my study and I'll do my figuring out. I'll do my research, all those things, and it'll be better. Uh, the kids, though, is where I think I made some mistakes this year. Uh, I, I definitely tried to coach these kids the same way I coached my players at Crespi, and that was a massive mistake. Uh, and I, we, we weren't the most incredibly talented team. We were incredibly young. Uh, we, we probably should have got a few more wins. And not that we were going to win a league title, but I, I, I coached these kids like they, were work, like they had dreams of getting a Division One scholarship. And that's how I coached my Crespi players because that was the case. All those guys at Crespi wanted to play college ball. So I, I pushed – I pushed, I pushed. And not only did I push the players, but I really talked to the parents a lot. I wouldn't say I pushed the parents, but there was a ton of dialogue with parents when I was a coach at Crespi about how their son was doing, good or bad. Um, Here's the role I think your son's going to play. I I would often send a text. I believe it was often, but I'd I'd send a text to mom and dad at Crespi saying, hey, just had a meeting with your son about his role. Why don't you have a conversation with him? If you got any questions, give me a call. And, you know, hoping the, hoping the son would relay the message. If not, I'm there to back it up. Again, going back to teaching our kids how to be men, be self-advocates, things like that. But in high school, I could be tough on a player. They're going to go home to mom and dad. They're going to go home to a good meal. They're going to go home to a bed in their own room where they grew up. Now I'm tough on a player they're away from home for the first time. They're dealing with cafeteria food. They're 
who knows what else they're dealing with a bad roommate situation a bad professor they don't know how to deal with that i mean i'm just i'm just piling on time at this level i'm not serving them i didn't serve them very well i just pushed and i yeah you know there's a fine line between being uh demanding and demeaning and uh i think any coach that finds that line straddles that line and airs on the side of demanding as opposed to meaning is going to really be successful and really have a great rapport with their players. And I, I think there were times this year where my desires to be successful and my habits as a coach, something that was demeaning, something that was demanding to a Crespi player was demeaning to a Calou player because their goals and visions were different. I mean, you're talking about at Crespi, they're playing tuition, but they've got plans to play at the next level. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting them ready for that. I have, I have a resume of preparing players to go to college, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's why they came there. And that's parents know that too. Well, at Calu, I'm coaching players that in two years are going to be taxpaying citizens and they know it. You know, there, there's not a lot of guys that are, you know, in the middle of their junior year at Calu going, man, yeah, I think I'm starting looking for an agent so I can go play overseas. I mean, that's, that's not – it's possible. And we've had guys go from Calu to play overseas. There's a couple right now, actually. But it's not the normal thought process. Kids are going to Calu. They're paying way more. They're paying, they're paying tuition. No one goes to Calu for free. You know, it's really expensive. Some are paying a lot. Some are paying – let me rephrase that. Some pay a lot and some pay a lot a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's expensive private college. So they're paying for school. They come to school thinking they're going to play, and then they don't play. Um, that's hard. You deal with all the other stuff, college life in general, being away from home. I mean, all these factors come into play. And um, I didn't get – I didn't do a great job of that this year. And, and I'll be way better this year. I mean, I, I learned that lesson the hard way, for lack of a better term. But also, it's it's something that's fixable, and I'm trying to do that now. I'm, one of the things I do now is I uh, call I call all of our players once a week. You know, when we get onto campus, I'm going to find a way to meet with our players once a week off the court just to see how things are going, whether it's at the on-campus at the cafeteria, at the football game, maybe they come to my office, whatever it is. But I've got to find a way to dialogue with my players at this level because I did that at high school. You know, I'd see them at lunch. I'd see them between classes. They'd pop in my office. I'd see them at the football game, the baseball, whatever. I saw them all the time. And I was able to – they would get to know me. You know, I, I, when I saw them at lunchtime, it wasn't like, hey, man, are you uh, – did you shoot yesterday? It was, hey, did you get your math done? Hey, what what did you do this week? And so I had this rapport with the guys that they knew I cared for them. And I wasn't able to do that as much this year at the college level. So I got to do that better this year. That's going to be huge, I think. Well, Coach, listen to you speak here. I think you do as good a job as anyone I've ever spoken to of recognizing your your weaknesses and then understanding how to build those and make those better. And I appreciate you, you know, kind of getting personal on us and some of the things that you've, you've, uh, you've grown on and, and matured on through your coaching career. 
have two more questions and I'll let you go. First, uh, professional development. You talked a little bit about uh, books. Um, uh, what, do, what do you do to develop professionally as a coach? There's a lot of options, especially in the quarantine. Um, if you know, there's been webinars daily, there's been this, I mean, there's so many people out there and, it, and, and even, you know, podcasts, um, there's so many options. One of the things I've done now is you know, back in the day, it was go to clinics. Uh, one of the best clinics I've ever been to is the coaching you clinic, uh, hosted by Brendan Sir and it started with Kevin Eastman as well. Uh, it, it's such an in-depth mother load of information. We've all been to the Nike clinic and it's a great time. You go to Vegas for a weekend. So the first time you go to the Nike clinic, you're, there's 10 clinicians. You go see seven, you don't sleep. Um, by the time you're, you've been there seven times, you just go see one and you're really just going to hang out and be in Vegas. And anyone that is my age, will absolutely agree with me that that's how it is for most of us. And those clinics, you know, you, how many times are you going to see here uh, uh, this person talking about his own offense or this person talking about his own defense? I mean, it's the same stuff. And so the Coaching You Clinic, I would highly recommend anybody that uh, – I think it's coachingyoulive.com might be the website. Um, I'm not a paid endorser, so uh, they can't get too mad at me really learned a ton there i've gone to that maybe three four five times in different spots there's a ton of obviously opportunities on the internet i've really tried to not watch a lot of stuff i don't want to my mind works very fast so if i put too many things in front of me it almost becomes jumbled mess and, and then the other thing is that we tend to see something oh wow that looks really good let's do that mm-hmm. and you don't think about the implementation the nitty-gritties the details going back from the first conversation first question you have what what are the details what is that going to mean for our team if I do that you know we're do we go pack line defense do we force do we force baseline we want to go zone or do we want to press I mean I saw a good press all right hey let's do it <laughs> Well, do we have the personnel? Um, do we are we smart enough to rotate? Yada yada yada. Uh, lots of you know basketball immersion podcast. Chris Oliver, not that I know him. Again, not a paid endorser, but I've heard him speak at a couple of coaching you clinics. His podcast is really good. His 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 uh, Twitter is really good. Lots of great stuff in there. And then I know he's got a membership deal, which I'm not a member of, but. There's so many opportunities, and I'll sum that up, Nick, with go watch practices. The uh, best experience I've ever had in terms of coaching development is just go watch a practice. Go go watch UCLA practice. Go watch LMU practice. Most coaches, most college coaches, you know, if you call up, if you email Nick Cronin and say, I want to come to practice, he's going to ignore you. Sorry, Nick, I don't know you, but if I guess. Um, but if you call their director of operations, and I don't know who it is now because Greg Yon, Yon, I, I might get his name wrong, but the ops guy at UCLA just went to LMU as an assistant coach. But if you call the ops guy at any Division One college, say, hey, I'd like to come watch practice, the answer is going to be yes. 
95% of the time. Go watch practice. I'll tell you, any anyone that's listening, if you want to come watch us, doors are open. Come through. Let us know in advance. We'll have a chair out for you. Uh, if you don't let us know in advance, you're going to have to stand up. I mean, that's uh, – I'm not hiding much. I, I I learned early on it's it's an honor if someone wants to come watch practice. It's it's a pleasure to give knowledge. Any You know, you asking me to come on this and talk about my journey and my experiences, I'm grateful to you. Thank you for that experience. Anyone that wants to hear about what I've done is – uh, a friend of mine, for lack of a better term, and I, I'm happy to assist. Give, I want to give back as much as I can, whatever that is, to whomever it is. So there's opportunities galore. You just got to go find them. But going and watching practice at your local Division One school, Division Two school, Division Three school, even a junior college games. Oh, that was good. That, those guys were good. Hey, what are they doing? Go watch practice. You know, most co- most coaches will take it. I, I hope most most coaches would take. Uh, an inquiry to watch practice as a compliment and invite you in. You know, there, there, there's probably some guys out there that don't want their secrets out, but um, I think most guys are going to say yes. So go watch practice. And even high school guys. I mean, there's a ton of really good high school coaches in L.A. Go watch them. I don't think they're going to say no either. Uh, unless you're, you know, if you're on staff at Harvard-Westlake, shout out to David Bebo, uh, I'm not going to let you come watch our practice because you're in our league if I'm a Crespi, but, you know, any, otherwise, come through, man. Let's, let's see what we got. As long as I can come watch yours and another day, uh, we're good. What about uh, some advice for coaches? What what uh, what advice do you have? Just a, a short, maybe couple sentences of guys wanted to get into this game or wanted to last a long time like you have and be successful like you. What are some advice for you have for them? Be flexible, uh, keep learning, uh, keep challenging yourself to get better. Uh, I would tell a high school coach, I think one of the things we did at Crespi really well, and I alluded to this a little bit earlier, but uh, engaged the parents, uh, engage the parents heavily. And I'm not talking about fundraising and working the snack bar. We actually eliminated, we, we, uh, for lack of a better term, we contracted out our snack bar so parents didn't have to work it. Uh, but we still made some money off it. Uh, we engage the parents with, uh, again, meetings, always offering. I, I would meet with parents anytime uh, except game day. The rule was no game day, no game day meetings. Uh, day after, day before, fine. Uh, preseason, postseason, fine. Multiple meetings, fine. Uh, but I, I took the, I'd say about 10 years ago, I took the philosophy that, I want to work. The more we work with parents, the more success we're going to have. You know, uh, we're not living in the days where I grew up, where parents took you to practice and you came home and the coach was always right. Those days are gone. Um, if you're coaching high school kids, you need to, you need to engage the parents. That doesn't mean you need to kowtow. It doesn't mean you need to give them what they want because that's not doing anybody any favors, uh, but you need to tell them what you're doing. You know, um, I had, I had a dad, a Crespi, whose son was a very good player. He came to my office and, hey, man, he said, I don't understand why you're doing this on defense. And I said, here's why I'm doing it. And he goes, huh, okay, that makes that makes sense. Thanks, appreciate it. You know, and we had other arguments, but 
I, I told the parents all the time, I'll, I'll sit down and talk to you about anything you want. You want to talk about X's and O's, you're probably going to lose because I know more about it than you. This is what I do. This is what I study. But I'll listen to you, and I'll tell you why I'm doing what I'm doing. And if you don't like it and you don't trust me anymore, then, then don't play here. That's the bottom line. You, you engage the parents so you, you trust. They trust you. They trust you with your son. Doesn't mean they're always going to like what you do. Uh, we had, uh, again, we'll leave, the, we'll leave names out to protect the innocent, but we've had some really good players at Crespi. We had some really good players at Crespi that parents didn't always agree with my decisions. You know, who's, who's going to take the last shot or uh, we didn't get the ball inside enough or we didn't run enough for this action. But I wasn't afraid to go to a parent and say, hey, I, I, I wish I would have done that better or here's why we're doing it or even better. I, I said this to a parent one time. I, you know, the dad was, didn't think his son was playing enough and was, I wasn't doing this. And if we would do this and I just said, look, I, sir, I think your vision of your son's ability and my vision of your son's ability are different. And I'm the coach. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what I think is best for the team. And that kid ended up transferring the next year, which no one would, I would obviously, I was expecting at the time, but the other thing I would say, so number one advice, engage parents in a positive way as much possible. We did a, uh, we did a parent boot camp at Crespi where parents would come in and do drills and workouts and watch film like it was a practice. We did a, uh, we did a father Sunday. I got this idea from John Moore, who just retired at Westmont. We, he, he used to do a father son retreat with his players, but I did a father son day, like a Sunday afternoon, bring dads and kids in. We do some, Shooting contests, we never did two-on-two because two that would get physical and probably fights would start. But we would we would do shooting contests and then have pizza, but also somewhere in there there was 20, 30 minutes where dad and son would go off somewhere on campus and I would give them pre-made five to ten questions where they would ask each other questions and, and they hopefully get to know each other a little bit better. Hey, what, you know, dad, what's your expectations for me for this season? Or the dad would ask the son, what are your hopes for this season? And, just engage those things and um, just really try to engage the parents as much as I can. And then I also really engage the administration. Um, obviously you have to trust your administration, but you have to earn that trust sometimes. And you know, letting administrators know when you got into it with a parent, I would always let an administrator know, Hey, you might get a call. <laughs> you might get a call tomorrow. Or if I was kicking somebody, if I was thinking about kicking somebody off the team, Engage the engage the AD, engage the principal. Hey, I'm I, here's what's going on with this kid. I'm thinking about booting them. And then when those parents go to the go when you do it, or when the parent goes to the principal or AD and says, "Do you know what your basketball coach did?" and the principal says, "Yeah, he told me yesterday." You know, I mean, it, it's just so much different for the administrator when he knows exactly what happened and he's not being blindside I mean that's just we all know the difference in that I mean and when you know what's going on there's a lot of value in that and, and we did a we engaged our faculty we had a coach of the week program at Crespi where we allowed two teachers to come in for a week and uh, come to practice I mean they didn't run drills but they would watch practice they'd come in their gear they'd go to games with us do film do dinner they'd sit on the bench during the games um, and they just kind of got the feel for it. And they were, after that, you know, they 
they were in, you know, when they saw the kids working and uh, they were in for forever, you know, we, hey, you know, by the time we were done, you know, parent, every year there was five, six teachers on campus like, hey, when we sign up for coach of the week, you know, I need to get a certain week and da 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 da, or I want the Notre Dame game, or I, I want the Chaminade game. And, uh, so now, now all those people are engaged in the program and, and they want to be involved. So uh, I know. So again, answer your question very. I told you I was going to be verbose. I get really talkative on these things. Engage parents, uh, en engage faculty, engage administration. Don't be on an island. Um, Engage other coaches. Go watch their practice. Go watch their games. Show them you care. Uh, and then ultimately, remember that you – we didn't talk about this terminology, but being a servant leader, you know, as, as coaches, when, you're, when your players know that you care about them for more than basketball, it's just going to mean a lot more. And, uh, you know, again, I go back to my days at Calabasas. I didn't do a really good job of that. And – there was there are still I, there are still guys at Calabasas that I talked to and are very grateful for the experience they have with me. But there's a lot more that don't, and that's that's on me, and that's because I didn't do a good job of serving them. I didn't do a good job of giving them a good experience, and that doesn't mean you can't push them, and that doesn't mean you can't coach them hard, but you just can't do it all the time. <laughs> I mean, and and nor should we, to be honest. Um, it's a fine line, though. That's that's really what what coaching is. Coaching is some X's and O's. At this level, it's a crap ton of recruiting, which is a whole nother conversation in a podcast. But coaching is about having great relationships with your players and your staff, and and you know creating lifetime friendships that mean something down the road. Uh, how can our listeners, how can they reach you if they want to reach out for questions or maybe even come see you practice? What's the best way to get a hold of you? My email is rdwhite at calutheran.edu. It's on the website, calutheran.edu. Uh, com is our sports website. Uh, we're on Twitter, CLU Men's Basketball. I don't know exactly what the lettering is, but if you just search CLU Men's Basketball, I'm Russell YT on Twitter. Not that that matters. Um, email is the best way to get a hold of me. I check it all the time, and uh, invite out uh, anytime. You know, um, we Division Three does not start practice till October 15th. There's no summer. There's no fall. There's no spring. October 15th. Uh, let us know. Come through. We'll practice most times in the fall. If things go the way we hope, we're going to practice in the evenings. 530 to 5 to 7, 530 to 7.30. But give us a couple of days notice and uh, we'll, we'll give you the red carpet VIP treatment. Well, Coach, I appreciate you being here with us. Um, you have a history of building programs from the bottom up. And uh, I don't see any reason why this isn't going to happen for the Kingsmen. And we'll be following Cal Lutheran and your basketball team uh, in the season to come. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, Nick. I enjoyed it. I really did appreciate you letting me talk about me and my program and, and my journey. All the best to you, too, at uh, El Toro. Well, that does it for the podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can email me at nicksinato at ymail.com. See you next time.